When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States podcast. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. This is our podcast about sailing and cruising on the East Coast of the United States. Today, we have part two with Amy Alton. Amy, along with her husband, David, purchased a new catamaran in 2014, and then they proceeded to sail around the world. They finished their circumnavigation in 2020, just a few weeks before the COVID pandemic hit. They have a YouTube channel called Out Chasing Stars, where they documented their trip around the world. Then they spent the better part of 2021 sailing on the Chesapeake Bay, which is also on their YouTube channel. So I had a great conversation with Amy, which we broke into two parts. Part one uh, is about their circumnavigation. And this episode, which is part two, is about the Chesapeake and Amy's writing career. Yep, she is also an author, along with a very accomplished sailor. So, Bela, the first part of the episode was great, and you've done a masterful job of editing this. So, listeners, if you're just picking up this one, you can listen to it. It'll make sense. But if you have a minute, I would go listen to EP57, the first part of this first, because it makes this part even better. Yeah. But, Bela, let's get right to it. Yep, sounds good. Hello, folks, and welcome to Sailing and Cruising the East Coast of the United States. Today, we're having part two uh, with Amy Alton of the YouTube channel Out Chasing Stars. Uh, In part one, we talked about their circumnavigation uh, around the world. And uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about some of her books because Amy is an author. And we're also going to talk about the time they spent uh, cruising the Chesapeake Bay. So welcome to part two, Amy. Thank you. So you've written some books. So yes. uh, t- tell me about sort of, uh, you know, I mean, obviously you're creative. You guys have a YouTube channel. So, so you got that creative gene. <clears throat> and, but writing a, <clears throat> excuse me, writing a book's a little bit different. So tell me about how you sort of got inspired to do that and, and, and to uh, write books. One of the favorite ways for me to spend my time is reading. And that's, been true since I was a kid. So I was always an avid reader. That was something my mom was very adamant about getting us into. And throughout our circumnavigation, I read voraciously, like uh, so many books a year. It's insane because that's my favorite thing to do on passage. It doesn't take a lot of energy and I can sit there and entertain myself all day. Then I tried to write my first novel in about 2018 and realized I didn't really know anything about how to actually write a novel. So I started to learn and invest myself in um, communities where people are writing fiction. Yeah. And then COVID hit and we'd gotten done with our circumnavigation just days prior. 
uh, to being to being locked down in Antigua. And I said, well, I have a bunch of free time on my hands right now, and I would like to try to write what I know this time. So I started writing romance novels set on sailboats, and they are based, well, the first three bo- books are set on sailboats. The one that is coming out March 22nd is based on our travels in New Zealand. So these are all my experiences in these unique locations through the eyes of a traveler with a twist of the romance of falling in love and of two people um, growing and coming together. Oh, cool. So, and you do this under uh, a pen name. Yes. Yes. Uh, Liz. Uh, my, so my, my pen name is Liz Alden and the books are the Love and Wonderless series. I chose a pen name to keep my fiction writing separate from my nonfiction. So under my real name, Amy Alton, I've been published in Cruising World Magazine, Sistership Magazine, uh, various publications like the Boat Galley or Noon Site in uh, nonfiction writing. So I'm writing about my own nonfiction experiences. And then the fiction fictionalized versions are under Liz Alden. Yeah, great. And where can people find these books, the Liz Alden books? The books are available at all major retailers, so Amazon, Kobo, Google Play, Barnes & Noble, and Apple. And then you can also go to my website, which is lizalden.com. And I have a free prequel novella to the Love and Wonderless series that you can read and download. So the you, you said it's Love and Wonderless series, so there's a series of books. Yes. And so far you have yes. three, you have a new one coming out? Yes, the fourth one comes out March 22nd, and then the fifth one will come out early next year. Okay. And so are they related? I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm a a nerd, so I read different kind of things. (laughs) (laughs) Are Uh, you telling me, Bella, that you're not a romance reader? No, I'm not a romance reader. (laughs) Yeah, maybe I should be. I mean, maybe I should be. I might learn some things. Um, (laughs) But so is, are they sort of related books or are they sort of unrelated they are related. They are called what's called inter, inter, excuse me, interconnected standalones. So you can pick up the first book or the third book or the fifth book and read them without having read the others. Now, the first and second book, the male main characters of the stories are brothers. So the first one is Avon and the second book is his brother Jonas. And you're introduced to these characters throughout the series. Um, so the upcoming book, The Player in New Zealand, that female main character is introduced in book two. But you can pick any of them up and read them on their own. Yeah, yeah. How long does it take you to sort of, you know, I'm going to write a new one in the series to the time, <laughs> you know, you hit the you hit the send button to get it published? How long does that take? It can vary quite a bit. I'm, I think my first one, my first one was about a year. But that was, I I held it back a little bit. I said, okay, you know, this book is done, but I'm not going to release it for a few months because I want to wrap up the other ones too. Nine months is probably my goal. Yeah. Um, And and that just kind of depends on where I am in the, usually it's the first draft that is the one that drags a little bit more than it should. The editing process takes the time that it takes and there's back and forth with me and my editors and it is what it is. But getting the first draft down is a challenge. There's a program called NaNoWriteMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. 
And the goal of this program is to get writers all over the world together to write 50,000 words in 30 days. So they have the program in April, in July, and in November. That was how I did my first three books was April 2020, July 2020, and November 2020 oh, was right. I sat down and wrote those books. So that's really helpful, and that gets my butt in gear in yeah. terms of writing a book in 30 days. But I haven't been as strict lately, and it shows. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm always intrigued by the sort of creative process. And and I know for myself, uh, when, when I'm creative, it usually comes in spurts. And it, it can come at any time. I, I, it, I can't schedule it. I can't plan it. But, <laughs> you know, it just sort of happens. And I have to, I've gotten much better at, okay, when it happens to quick grab the pen or grab a digital recorder and let it mm -hmm. flow. And then I can mm -hmm. go back and sort of massage it and, and make it into something reasonable. How does that creative process work for you? I mean, I've talked to some people who I, every day I sit down, you know, between nine in the morning and noon and I write and I force myself to write and other people, it's just less scheduled. How does that work for you? I find that if I sit down first thing in the day, first thing reasonably being after exercise and after breakfast and write, I am more likely to get into a groove and then I might write 3,000, 4,000 words a day. If I don't do it first thing in the morning, then I'm likely to delay doing it, procrastinate, get absorbed into other things. So then... I may only write a thousand words a day or less um, it, or just not write at all. Yeah. Actually, I have heard an expression that it's a lot easier for the I'm going to butcher it, but it's a lot easier for the muse to find you if you're at the same place in the same time every day. And then I've also read some articles about people who really get invested in the specifics of their creative process. So, they track, you know, I'm sitting down at home at 9 a.m. and I'm writing X number of words over X amount of time. And then the next day I go to a coffee shop at 2 p.m. and I sit down and I write X number of words over X amount of time. And after many iterations of this, they start to see a pattern that they are writing more words per minute or per hour or whatever when they are at a coffee shop than they are at home or writing more words in the morning than they are in the mm. afternoon or the evening. So it, it can be about forcing yourself to sit down and do it at any particular, at a particular time of day, every day. And then your muse will find you eventually, or it's about figuring out which works best for you. Yeah. And I think as cruisers, this makes it a little bit more difficult because we never have a regular day. Right. Right. And, I know plenty of authors who get up and write before they go to their full-time job. And we don't have that dedicated space of getting up early and working in a time that is usually kind of sacred, yeah. you know, the first thing in the morning. So yeah, you have to, you have to figure out what works for you. And when I'm properly behaved, I am having breakfast after a workout and then I get right into writing and I, I am trying to be trying to do the most productive thing that I can, which for me is putting words on the page. Yeah. Cool. So let's get back to sailing. Absolutely. Uh, so you guys finished your circumnavigation. Uh, you ended that in Antigua, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Yeah. And then COVID hits. 
the yep. world kind of drastically changes. And yep. then it's uh, then tell me how you sort of decided uh, or, or were able to <laughs> leave there, go to Chesapeake, why the Chesapeake, etc., and what your kind of route was. We got into Antigua just a few days before lockdown and ended up spending two and a half months in Antigua, which we say over and over again, it could not have been better for us. Antigua it was, I think, fairly reasonable with their COVID rules. We were in Jolly Harbor, which is a huge cruising community and meant that we had VHF nets every evening and we had people to talk to on the radio. Um, there's a great grocery store there, plenty of marine services. So after two and a half months, we were, you know, basically two and two and a half months of watching the weather and thinking, well, you know, we don't have to leave just yet. And we're, um, we eventually, I think it was mid July that we got a window we thought was good. Nope. Mid June. Sorry. Mid June. We got a window we thought was good and, we are more likely to just take the offshore route as opposed to hopping up the coast, as many people did that year. So we sailed directly from Jolly Harbor to Cape Charles, Virginia. Now, we chose Cape Charles because of the limited availability of haul-out facilities for us on the East Coast. We have a spreadsheet listing all of the places that can deal with a boat of our tonnage and width and um you know they're accessible with our mast height basically and then compound it with different um state or um, local rules for sales tax or use tax use tax i mean for boats um so we ended up choosing cape charles and it's an interesting place it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere but it got us started in the Chesapeake Bay, essentially. And then our plan had been to put the boat on the hard and come back to the boat in the end of 2020, go cruise the Bahamas for the season. But with uh, finishing our videos and COVID, we got to October and we thought, you know, I we just don't think it's it's what we want to do. Yeah. So we, we opted to push back, you know, about six months. We spent some time around the country, uh, on land. And then we got back to the boat in May of 2021 and said, okay, well let's cruise the Chesapeake. We're right here. It's, it's summer. It's peak season for Chesapeake cruising. Let's check it out. Yeah. And so tell me about the Chesapeake. We have often talked about the interest in doing like the Great Loop because you get to visit these small town America places. And the Chesapeake Bay was a lot like that. We visited big cities like Norfolk or Baltimore or Annapolis, medium sized city. But we also went to these uh, remote areas that have a few sparse rural homes and there was no other boats in sight. We visited tiny sleepy towns where maybe there's a population of more boats than people. And I I think it was a great mix of exploring, 
exploring America. Yeah. Like it's a really interesting place. There are like every place there are some things we didn't love about it. The water quality is Mm. very difficult. There were a lot of jellyfish at certain periods of the year. There was absolutely no wind at some periods of the year or some periods of the summer, I should say. So it has its difficulties, but it's got quite a variety and we were certainly never bored. (laughs) Yeah. 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 We've done a lot of chartering down in in the Chesapeake, the kind of the Northern half of the Chesapeake. And, uh, it, it's just an amazing place. Like you said, it, it's, it's, uh, I find it to be, uh, very boater friendly, right? Yes. Wherever you go, it's yes. sort of, they welcome boaters. Uh, unlike new England, uh, the, the bottom is soft and muddy. So the anchor <laughs> sticks well. And if you hit it, <laughs> you, you might get stuck, but you're not going to do a lot of damage. Uh, yeah. but you're right. Uh, July and August tend to be hot and muggy and not a lot of wind. Uh, yes. Now, did you guys stay there 12, uh, 12 months? Did you winter over there? We did not. So we launched in June and then we left in December. So about half the year. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. So do you guys have a home, a physical home base, a land home base, I guess is the way to say it? We do not. My parents live in Houston and David's parents live in Dallas. So uh, our my parents' home is our permanent residence got it in our address um so we split our time between houston and dallas yeah so when you guys are uh, on the boat and you know going mm-hmm. from city to city and town how do you handle sort of mail and sort of all that stuff that you know is super easy in a land-based home uh, because some person <laughs> comes and delivers it to your mailbox uh how do you how do you handle those types of things for general mail my parents accept mail for us and my mom opens the mail and goes through it and scans and sends us things um digitally and then she also keeps a stack going for um you know the next person who's going to come visit us or if we need to mail things if there's something important and then we were able to find especially in the chesapeake we were able to find places where it was very easy to get um, people or places to accept shipments for us. So we did have a project we needed to do, um, going up our mast. And so we said, well, we really want to do this in a Marina. So let's book a Marina slip in Deltaville and then, okay, everything that's in our Amazon shopping cart or whatever we can have sent to this Marina. And same thing with like, if we knew someone in the area, like we did in Annapolis or uh, have a marine, and we had a marina slip booked in Baltimore. And then sometimes, even if you're on anchor, you can go in and talk to someone and say, like, like a marina nearby, sure, and say, you know, we have this package we need delivered, even though we're not in a marina. Do you mind accepting it for us? And they'll usually say yes. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, excellent. So, uh, what what parts uh, of the Chesapeake did did you find uh, the hardest? What were the challenges there? The hardest part, I think, I think that the hardest part was really about the weather. Like we, is not super enjoyable to have zero wind on very hot days. And that's actually why we went up to Baltimore for a month. We docked the boat at Anchorage Marina and we're able to plug into shore power and have air conditioning through the heat, which was really nice. Yeah. And then 
it started to cool down. So we were able to get out and explore a little bit more. I do think it's difficult to, um, to be in such remote places for getting work done. And so Cape Charles was like this and there's a, um, Zimmerman's in Cardinal, Cardinal, Virginia, I think. And these are both places that are 40 minutes to an hour from civilization, quote unquote. Yes. And so to, to go to these places and to need boat parts and to have to run to like a West Marine or whatever, that's, that's difficult. And that kind of made long-term projects a little difficult for us. And which is why we don't plan on going back this year to the Chesapeake Bay. But, you know, if you can plan ahead for those kind of things, then I think it's a lot easier. Yeah. How, how did you find uh, the cost of, you know, spending that length of time in a Chesapeake Bay compared to, you know, other parts, whether it be the Caribbean or let's say the Caribbean, just comparing it to the Caribbean? I think the cost was pretty reasonable. There were a few marinas we used where I thought the the rate was decent, especially um, I'm, it's going to sound like I'm sponsored by them, but Anchorage Marina was very cost effective and I thought it was a fantastic location and excellent amenities. That's the one right in Baltimore, I think, right? That's the yeah. one right in Baltimore. Yeah. Which was fantastic. Other than that, there are so many places to anchor throughout the Chesapeake that we didn't book marina slips often which is which is standard for us you know we haven't we've been here in the bahamas since mid-december and we haven't been in a marina slipper on a morning ball since yeah. then yeah food i think food was well you know um when you're in the chesapeake bay you want to enjoy seafood so uh there were plenty of instances where we went out to a nice meal and that was really fun other than that i think that I think that the Chesapeake is pretty, pretty reasonable. You know, I will say in comparison, cruising Maine was much more expensive. Yes. Yeah. I now, know. granted, like food wise, maybe it's because we were eating lobster a little more often than we should have. But um, marina slips were very expensive. Um, so I think I think the Chesapeake is great, especially if you're willing to be off the grid. Yeah, yeah. I, my my experience parallels yours. I, I find New England uh, to be uh, much more expensive, uh, particularly the cost of a marina or even a mooring or you know sort of the stuff related to your boat. Food is food, yes. and it sort of depends on you know do you want to go to the to the crab shack or do you want to go to the fancy restaurant? Um, yeah. But uh, I think the most remarkable thing about the Chesapeake is, as you said, there's so many places to anchor. It's like no yes. matter where you are, like within a half hour, you can find an, an, a beautiful anchorage to, to be by yourself more than likely. It's just remarkable. And and New England's not like that. It's a little more dicey uh, to get yeah. good anchorages. And, and so the ability to sort of live outside of the marina life is really, really easy in the Chesapeake. Yeah. There, there are a few places we went to where I think anchoring was a little bit more difficult in the Chesapeake. For example, Cape Charles, there's mm-hmm. just not a good anchorage there. But especially on the eastern shore, there are these river inlets or bays and That's coves right. and little fingers yeah. that you can go up into. And they're quite beautiful. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you had a, this is going to be a series of questions. If you had mm-hmm. a recommendation for someone who wanted to uh, cruise to Chesapeake, what, 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 would, what tips would you give them? What top, going with your latest <laughs> videos, <laughs> uh, we don't have to go to five, but you know, what kind of tips or uh, suggestions would you have for someone cruising to Chesapeake? I think the section that we most enjoyed was, and maybe that's because we spent the most time there, but the middle Chesapeake where you've got Annapolis and you have St. Michael's and a few other places Mm. around there. Yep. It's, it's good diversity. You can go to Annapolis and you have a lot of interesting aspects of the city and the Naval Academy is right there and it's really interesting. And the, and the community around cruising there, you've got these mooring balls maintained by the city, which are a reasonable, uh, reasonably priced, I think. And again, you have those little nooks and crannies that you can go to. So if you know where to go in Annapolis, there are some great mooring balls to pick up that are out of the traffic and um, away from the busier areas. And then across the bay, you have St. Michael's, yeah. which is, a lot like Annapolis, but smaller. And there's the, um, I forget if it's the Chesapeake Bay Museum that's there. There, like every town in the Chesapeake Bay has its maritime museum. <laughs> so we went to the one in, 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 in um, I'm sorry, in St. Michael's, which was fantastic. And it's such a cute little town. It's got, plenty of interesting places to eat there's a walking trail there's the main harbor of st michael's but if you go around the back to san domingo creek it's a residential area there's access to a park and a dinghy dock and it's a blast there we we spent probably a month between annapolis and the front and back of st michael's so i I really enjoy it i think it's easy to get the amenities you want, but also be a little bit further away. We went, my my mom and uncle came to visit in St. Michael's and we took them across, we were at the front entrance of St. Michael's and we went across to Leeds Creek mm-hmm. where we anchored there. We were the only boat there aside from a few fishermen coming and going. We had a dinghy access area. We went for walks around the neighborhood. There were osprey. It was good holding, well-protected, 360 around, um, and it's just beautiful. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. agree. We tried it out at Rock Hall a lot, which is right in that yeah. same yeah. same section. And Rock Hall is one of those towns that has clearly has more boats than residents. Uh, yes. But it, yes. And it's, so many boats. Yeah, it's remarkable. And it's a, such a small town. I think it has like one blinking yellow light, you know, three or four yeah. restaurants, but it has a West Marine. <laughs> yes, we've been to that West Marine. Uh-huh. Yes. Which is like remarkable because this little town and you go, how can a West Marine survive here? But then, then you look around and see. Uh, so where are you guys now? Where are you guys physically located? We are currently in the Bahamas in the Exuma Islands, just a little bit north of Georgetown. Yeah. Yeah. And what are your plans? What's, what's the next uh, six to nine months for you? We're going to hang around here. We've been here since mid-December and we'll be here until we'll be in the Exumas until the end of April. 
And then in May, we're going to stop in Eleuthera, where hopefully my parents are going to come visit. And then from Eleuthera, we will shoot up to Rhode Island. And we're going to haul the boat out there and do a bit of a refit. Starry Horizons is now eight years old, and there are, well, she will be eight years old in October. There are some things that we're going to improve upon because technology's changed sure. since we outfitted the boat. And we can do a little bit more comforts for us now that we um, know what, you know, sailing eight years has been like. And uh, some things we definitely need to replace that maybe it's a little past time. Yeah, yeah. But we're getting there. Oh, great. Um, yeah. So you'll be in, you'll be in, in my uh, my sailing grounds. So where 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 in uh, Narragansett Bay are you going to be? We're looking at Barrington. Oh, um, that's where yeah. I am. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, up in the the safe harbor, Cove Haven Safe Harbor. Yeah. yeah. That's uh-huh. that's where my boat is. Wow, I did not know that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey, great marina. And this is going to sound like an ad. I, I pay full price for the slip. Um, <laughs> but it's a, a great marina. The The quality of work there, I've been very impressed with. Uh, it's, New England, well, it's New England pricing. <laughs> yep. Right? But I've been, I've been very impressed with uh, the people there. Kenny, who's the dock master, runs a tight ship. Uh, the yard is clean. <laughs> You know, the restrooms are, are, are really nice. So you guys going to live there during that time or just drop the boat off with a list of stuff to do? It's going to be a little bit of a mix. We yeah. are going to head back to Texas and we also have a trip planned out to San Diego. But we will be back, especially because as we've learned over the years, it's best for us to be present yes. for big boat projects. Yes. Now, some of the projects are going to be, you know, set set the people up and then we'll return and, sure. and see how the work has gone. Yeah. Um, like for example, we need to get new sails. So we'll be taking the sails off and possibly sending them to the sail off so they can be cut exactly. And then, you know, hopefully we'll show up a month or two later and our sails will be ready. Um, so we will certainly be spending a lot of time in Barrington for a few projects, but we will also leave Starry Horizons on her own in the capable hands of Hopefully, yeah, yeah. safe haven people. Yeah, so, watch, Bella, watch out because you're gonna be you're gonna be my go-to person now. So. I, 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 I'd I'd love to. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, all all I ask in return is a, a sail or two on the boat. No, oh, that's a that's a fair <laughs> yeah. that's a fair request. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's where we are. That's a, what a great surprise that is. Cool. So when are you guys gonna yeah. show up there? When did you say? may probably late may oh okay yeah my boat's going scheduled to go in uh, last week in in april so uh yeah we'll we'll be there oh i'll be looking out for excellent. you excellent oh yeah how that'll, fascinating that'll, that'll we, be fun we joke all the time about how small of a world it really is mm-hmm. you know um just by having this connection in the sailing community you're gonna meet a lot of interesting people and you're gonna you're gonna find somebody everywhere yeah you know i was thinking of about this the other day, I was talking to my uh, my wife Elaine. I, I I sort of wish more of the world was like the sailing community, because I find the sailing community uh, very friendly, very engaging. You know, willing to help each other. You know, people will give you parts, right? I mean, they'll give you stuff, yeah. right? And they don't ask for anything in return. It's just sort of this 
fabulous sort of community that supports each other, looks out for each other, helps each other. Right. If if your boat's drifting, people will mobilize and grab it and secure it for you and stuff. And I just wish the rest of the world was as sort of engaging and helpful and friendly as as the boating community is. It's remarkable to me. Yeah, I completely agree. I think there's been some amazing instances that like we would tell our friends and family about and they're like someone is doing this for you that's that's like amazing that's how how does this happen you know people lend us cars or offer to give us rides and um and and give advice and information and offer to accept mail for us i mean it's just amazing how things have been all over the world and yeah yeah even in in the chesapeake bay i there were two instances, actually both were in Mobjack Bay. So maybe people in Mobjack Bay just have, are really special. Two instances of people coming up to us in kayaks, they paddled over from their house and said, well, you're anchored, you know, right in our backyard. Here's my home. Would you like to come on shore for dinner or for a shower? Or do you need a car or a bike or whatever? And that's, that's really special. And, and I hope that someday when we move onto land, we'll be, in a house on the waterfront and we will have cruises. Yeah, yeah. You can return you can return that, right? Pay it forward yes. as they say. Yes, yeah, because exactly. That that doesn't happen in normal life. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> right? It doesn't. It, it doesn't. And uh cool. Well when you when you come up to Barrington or if in the meantime you need something, my son lives in Barrington. So yeah, okay. a place that, you know, you can drop packages or whatever before the <laughs> marina or whatever. Um so Excellent. So we've been chit-chatting between part one and part two here now for over <laughs> an hour. So I'd like to wrap this up. But one last question. So is, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have? Anything else that we missed that was really important or you'd like to share with uh, our, our listeners? I think that a lot of people ask us how um, how to get yourself comfortable with cruising and with doing the unknown things. And now this is going to come from a conversation I saw earlier this morning on Facebook is, um, you know, how do I get comfortable driving the dinghy or how do I get comfortable driving the boat? And it's, it's really cruising is really about like learning yourself and pushing your boundaries and sometimes forcing yourself in uncomfortable situations and I was nervous to drive our boat at first, but you, I, I said, David, you can't drive the boat anymore. It has to be me. And sure, there are some times where I think about passing the helm to him and saying, well, it's a little too windy for me. But then I tell myself, no. Like, first of all, at this point, I've driven our boat way more than David has. Yeah. So I don't know the last time he drove the boat. It's probably been six years. <laughs> no, no, he did it in Australia. I remember that. Okay. So so there are times when I think I want to pass the helm over, but I tell myself like this is good practice. And if it's a little windy, we have our headsets, we have dock hands or we have whatever we need. And there's no reason I can't do this. And no reason David would do it better than me. So the, the summation is like Push your boundaries, figure out what you need to make yourself comfortable doing things. Um, 
And, and also consider why do I feel like I need to do this? Well, in the case of driving the dinghy or driving the boat, what if something happens to my partner? Sure. And how can I make sure that I get, I get us the help we need and I am independent and I am able to be self-sufficient and proud of myself for the things that I do. So I think, I think that's excellent advice for cruisers or people who are nervous about coming into cruising. Yeah. That's excellent advice for any couple that wants to do anything together, right? Whether you want to go hiking for the day (laughs) or, or whatever. I mean, you you know, there's this, sometimes there's this very traditional separation of pink and blue chores or pink and blue responsibilities. Right. And, and I think that uh, when you're doing certain things specifically like cruising or other things that you're doing together, uh, you need to mingle those better because you're really dependent upon each other. Um, And there's nothing worse when something happens and you feel helpless that you can't help. Right. I don't want to be, I don't want to ever be in that situation. I want to, if something happens, I want to be able to, to, to help and, help remedy the situation or at least take care of whatever needs to be done. I don't want to be sitting there going, I don't know what to do. I mean, yeah. 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 And as a cruising couple, we are, we constantly have a list running like every boat does of things that we want to do. And there may be things on this list where neither of us know how to do them, but they might be typical pink jobs or typical blue jobs. I'm air quoting for those who can't see. And, (laughs) and so it's like, well, for example, Recently, we had to replace the kill switch on our outboard. David doesn't know how to do that. Neither do I. Why shouldn't I be the one to learn how to do it? Um, So, you know, we get uh, there are certainly things that David knows a lot more about than I do. And those are his responsibilities. But there's the gray area in between the the purple area, we'll say, where where we both have opportunities to grow. Yeah. So that's an excellent part of cruising. And you're right, of life in general. It's good, good relationship advice, period. Yes. Yes. <laughs> hey, Amy, this has been a, a fascinating conversation. I really uh, am happy that we connected here. And uh, I really look forward to uh, meeting you and David in person uh, in, in not the new, too distant future up in Barrington. Yeah. That'll be great. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Bella. I appreciate it. Wow, Bela, this was really cool. So, you know, starting with episode one of this in EP57, starts off as an engineer, runs the father's business when he dies suddenly, gets into chartering and or doing what then it was the cooking on the boat thing, right? And then chartering and then sailing around the world. And then now here we've had a year on the Chesapeake, right? And an accomplished fiction author. Yeah. Yeah. And Amazing. hey. Amy and I went to the same college or university. Yeah, RPI. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're both graduates of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. <laughs> there you and, go. And you're going to cross paths. Yeah, that the, was another remarkable see thing. see at the end. Wait, don't. Let's not give it a... Let's, oh, no, this is the outro. <laughs> this is the outro. This is okay. Okay. They've already yeah. listened. <laughs> yeah. They... But yeah, and you'll cross paths, right? Yeah, yeah. Again, I think in a few weeks, which will be fascinating. Yeah, that will be. Maybe you can do a recording. Maybe you can record the meetup on the boat and you can talk through the tour of her boat and you can take her on a tour of your boat. That might be kind of cool. That's a great idea. That's a great idea, Mike. And I turn think, it into uh, an episode. I think we'll try to make that happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, 
amazing, unpredictable, giving us giving up a structured job, right? You go become an engineer. You are an engineer, right? It's like all my engineering friends, and I love them dearly, right? But they're like, okay, this is a kind of a job with some certainty. I know what I'm going to do. I know what my objectives are, right? It's a job that really fits well for people with structured minds and who love kind of certainty and, and are not total risk averse and are not the most creative people on the planet, right? And that's okay. And I know that's a generalization and I know there's exceptions, but this is typically what we see. And then Amy does this, right? Which is just really cool, right? She's entrepreneurial, creative, unpredictable. Um, really, really a great story. And even taking a lot of risk, right? What she's done is really risky. What's your take on this, Bela? As, a, as an engineer turned kind of, I would argue, creative, right? <laughs> yeah, so I... You know, I just I just think it's a personality trait, quite honestly. Uh, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any of those things, but I, I just think it's a, a personality trait. You're, you're either a person who sort of likes uh, repetitive things. You, you, you want to know what's coming next. You, you like that notion. You're comfortable with it. Uh, and there are other people who, like myself, I get bored after doing stuff a few times. Uh, you know, there's a few things in my life that I've done for all my life, like skiing and and uh, fishing, uh, fly fishing. But other than that, there's not a lot of things that I, I do all the time. And, uh, you know, my career reflects that, certainly. Uh, after after three or four years at a particular organization or a particular position, I get bored and I want to try to do something else. But I think that's a personality trait. And I think it's a good thing that, you know, we have people who like both of those, you know, they're, that fit into one of those two categories because the world and society needs both of those types of individuals. Um, and I think it's, you know, for me, it's about exploring and it's about the journey. It's about new experiences. Um, I'm not an adrenaline junkie, right? I'm not jumping off the top of buildings or cliffs, you know, and, and trying to fly uh, or doing a bungee jump. I, that's not my sense of adventure. Um, but certainly the notion of uh, learning uh, new things and experiencing new things um, is, is, is really cool. And I think Amy's great, right? I mean, I, I, was, I was really surprised that she's a writer because I'll tell you, I went through college and I did not take one English course. <laughs> and writing, I am awful at it. I'm an awful writer. I, I spell, I misspell every third word. My punctuation is awful. I just, I don't have that skill at all. And it's plagued me my whole life. And, uh, and so to, to, to have someone who went through the rigors of an engineering school uh, also be a creative writer, I think is, is really interesting. Yeah. I have one really good friend. She owns a market research firm. She was an engineer at Kimberly Clark. Um, and that was the best friend of my wife from when she was a little kid. Um, and she's an amazing writer and creative person and was in, she really felt, I think that she was, she could do engineering, but she kind of felt like she was in the wrong world. So she switched over. She's an entrepreneur. She's taken all kinds of risks in her business and grown it to a huge, um, operation and really, really cool. So, um, I think it can happen. I think you're right. And I think it's that people can be both, right? It's not either or, you know? Um, right. But you just have to have the space to do it, right? Yep. And you were fortunate, right? You had the space to be engineering oriented and entrepreneurial and creative. And yeah, granted, maybe writing is not your thing, um, you know. But you certainly help lots of people develop their creative. You know, you've had you have creativity in how you help others, which is amazing. And and 
Uh, and I think that's cool. So yeah, I think, I think this is feasible. Um, and I think it's maybe just that people just need to open up, right? About, and I guess, you know, my, my, my stepbrother is an engineer, but he's also an amazing woodworker, which takes incredible creativity, right? So I think there's probably lots of engineers. I think I'm being stereotypical, right? And I think there's lots of engineers that have this side to them. It's just how much people choose to share it and let it out, right? Right. right. And there's, and there's various different types of creativity, right? There's writing a book, which is, which is, or, or writing a song or writing a poem, right? That's a different type of creativity than, you know, woodworking. They, they have common elements, but they're sort of different, different things. And, and, you know, the part that amazed me is how, how, um, she took, she took sort of the engineer's approach to writing, right? She sort of analyzed it. She went to school about it, right? She learned about it. What are the different techniques? And then she did experiments to figure out what works for her to, to have her creativity come out. So uh, I, I thought that was really kind of neat too. Yeah, totally. It, the whole story was fantastic. Um, let me ask you a, a separate question. And, you know, I guess all this time that we've been talking about sailing for whatever it's been a couple of years now, um, we're just talking about you winter your boat and then you go in the, when the weather's nice and you go for, for a sail, right? Um, kind of wrapping my arms around like spending all year on the boat or spending the winter on the boat, like being up here. And then I guess we've talked to a few people um, where they, they spend the, the summer up here and then the winter they go down to the Bahamas and whatever. Right. But what are the pros and cons of spending winter on a boat? Well, I, I think my number one bit of advice, if you're going to spend 12 months out of the year on a boat uh, for the winter, go south where it's warm. <laughs> Right, obviously, yeah. Because I think there there are people who live on a boat, uh, even in Narragansett Bay, where our boat is uh, on in the marina. I was there a few weeks ago, and I think there were two boats in the water, and people were living on them. And I know, I know where we, yeah, yeah, and I know where we bought our boat, uh, which was in a a marina, you know, halfway down the bay. Uh, There was uh, two or three people who lived there twelve months out of the year in the marina on their boat. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard, I think (laughs) it's a lot of hardship because it's, it's a step above camping in a tent, but not a big step above, um, because it gets cold enough. Like the water doesn't freeze in Narragansett Bay unless, unless you have like an unusual cold spell, but the water inside your boat will freeze. Right. So you got to worry about Mm -hmm. water lines. And, you know, in a marina, typically the water you can get right from the dock where your boat is. You can oftentimes hook your boat up to the the dock water mm-hmm. and, and you have water. But they shut that water off in the winter. And right, because they don't want it to freeze. Right, because it right. can't freeze. That's above above ground. Above ground. Right. And it'll freeze. Even if it's only 25 degrees for five hours, it'll freeze and the pipes will burst. So I, I, I know that at the marina, once a week they they run a garden hose from from the building down to the dock and the people fill up their water tanks right on their boats and how they wow. keep their water tanks on their boats from freezing i i don't totally understand right they they must have to keep that stuff really warm on the inside of the boat and they must be mm-hmm. either they have you can get these little diesel heaters um mm-hmm. that are quite, they use diesel fuel they're quite efficient and they work very well uh of course you can have electric heaters which will which will be expensive um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's gotta be a challenge to live on the, I, there's no way I would want to live on a boat in the wintertime. 
Yeah, but listeners, if you know anybody or if you're somebody, this would be a great guest to just oh, hear right. kind of what the process is and how you go, how you go through it, how you prepare. Right? Fascinating. That's a great idea, Mike. Yeah. So if we have a listener who lives on their boat in the winter time, up in the colder climates, man, we'd love weather, to chat right? with you. Yeah. yeah. And and yeah. and hear about it because. Like I said, our marina typically has, I don't know, 300 boats in it. And when I was there two weeks ago, there was two boats there. <laughs> so yeah. the vast majority are either out of the water or they have headed south. So, yeah. yeah. And just the logistics were interesting. Just, okay, getting mail and getting packages and all of these things are things I didn't really think about. Um, but just fascinating. I mean, I have a little bit of a similar situation in that, you know, we live in Germany, but I still maintain a mailing address at my our mother my, my wife's mother's and my mother-in-law's yeah. so that we can get mail and, and things there yeah um, but we also get mail here but that's way different than being on a boat yeah <laughs> right and yeah when you're um, a nomad so, yeah it's yeah. it's you know there's these things we again we take for granted uh and there's parts of our lives that uh you know you got to pay bills or you got to do certain things or you got to go to a doctor well you're you're a thousand miles away from your doctor so you got to go someplace else or you're in a different country and and healthcare works differently there. So, yeah, there's a lot of yeah, yeah there's a lot of uh, a lot of things like that you have to sort of sort through and figure out how you can do them. A lot of people do them. There's a lot of nomadic people uh, around and you know, for me, I prefer to be nomadic along the East Coast because it's it's close. I can get my mail and I have internet access and you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not worried about um other worlds or other countries and, and different ways of doing things, particularly if you get sick or, you know, even banking, right? So you got you to get some cash. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, how, how do you get cash in, in some South Pacific island, right? So the, the ATMs, there are ATMs and they work. You'd be, it's, you'd be, it's remarkable how well the banking system works for ATM cards all over the world. It's fascinating. Mm. Um, but, but you're, you're right. Other things are, are an issue. Um, and, I think that it's, you know, everybody's got their own level of adventure, but this type of adventure of going around the world is really takes a ton of planning, right? And um, a, probably a little bit of luck, but it's the attitude that struck me the most. And I loved when you asked Amy what you should have asked her or what she wanted to talk about. And she talked about pushing her own boundaries and talking about pushing through your fears and talking about growing and learning um, and even with the gender roles with their partner, I thought that was really cool to say, look, let's not fall into these traditional um, gender role traps. Let's really explore and be independent. And I love what you said about being self-sufficient. That goes from 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 all genders, right? It's open and it's great advice, not only for sailing, but for relationships, but just for life in general. Right. I mean, right? This is just fantastic. Push your boundaries a little bit. Give yourself the opportunity to learn and grow and, and usually you surprise yourself. Well, you know, as you were saying that, Mike, it got to me thinking about how in corporate America, cross-training has become a, a, a big thing, right? So you get to learn how to do multiple jobs uh, so that if, if you know, your, your coworker is out sick or they're gone for a week, you know, you can backfill and do that kind of stuff. Well, it's amazing how we don't often apply that to relationships <laughs> and, and or we don't apply it to a couple sailing, Uh you, you, you get into this real gender, you know, pink, pink jobs and blue jobs. And, uh, I, I mean, and I'll tell you, it's that way on our, on my boat, right. Elaine and I have a very sort of traditional relationship from that perspective. 
uh, and uh, it's if if you're out and like they are around the world, you both of you have to be able to know what to do because it, your life may depend upon it. Um, and being able to um, sail the boat and 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 recover somebody if they fall overboard and all those types of things, both people need to know how to do that. And uh, so I yeah. think it's a it's a good. It's a good lesson that one can carry on into other aspects of life as well. Totally. Specialization is fine, but you should also be a generalist. And it's okay to go into your traditional gender roles, I think. But as long as you're doing it knowingly and thoughtfully is the other thing. Don't make, in, don't make assumptions, right? Yeah. Which, is, which is fascinating. So, yeah, really cool. Great two-parter. I hope that everybody listened to both parts. Um, what do you think, Bela? Should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. You know, I just wanted to... Uh, talk mention their youtube channel again so it's out chasing stars that's the youtube channel and amy's books uh she has a new one coming out shortly uh she uses the pen name liz alden uh and so you can find her at lizalden.com so um check those out uh she's a really talented individual and i'm glad we had the wonderful conversation we did so yeah let's give it a wrap up so uh you know if you uh enjoyed this podcast uh, hit that follow button on your favorite podcasting app and if you know someone would be a good guest or hey like we talked if you know someone who lives on their boat during the cold winter months uh, have them reach out to us and we'll get them as a guest on the show yeah any questions comments let us know our email is sailing the east that's all one word at gmail.com so from over here in munster germany bela see you next time yeah, I'm heading out to the boat uh, next week uh, to take the cover off. And uh, we'll do an episode on sort of uh, spring commissioning and the projects I have lined up uh, before I get the boat in the water. So uh, stay tuned for that. That'll come out probably in a couple of weeks. Signing off from upstate New York. See you all soon. Thank you.